Well, hi. Good morning. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> Very good. You? Good. Are you here for Chelsea or for something else? For Chelsea. Okay. It's a, it'll be streamed live on the members group. Oh, we're not doing it this way? We're not doing it this way. <laughs> oh, oh look, look at that. But, but thanks for being here. <laughs> well, it's just the three of us. All right. <laughs> just hang yes. Disregard everybody else's questions. All right. See ya. All right. See you, Jody. Take care. <laughs> that's all recorded. Hello? Somebody else is here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> we just we just kicked Jody out as well. It'll be live in the members group. <laughs> oh. So, so, so I'll see you guys later. With that? So I'll just watch from Facebook. Is that what you mean? Facebook, yeah. Yes. And you'll get to see yourself. Later, yeah, dudes. Yeah. A quick little recording of your face, too. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I have to. Oh, you gotta have your fancy letters, eh? No, I'm just not allowed to not have my letters. Is that good? Good morning. Is there anybody here? All right. So we are here. Uh, what's this episode three, I guess, of quarantine edition of Conversations with Coach. Mm -hmm. uh, today I'm here and I didn't have to go virtually with it. <laughs> Darren, it's on, uh, it's on Facebook, on the members group. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, today here with, it's uh, <laughs> distracting. Yeah, watch on Facebook, guys. Watch on Facebook. Don't, don't log into the Zoom meeting. Uh, you just need a different Zoom probably link. shouldn't have had the Zoom meeting. Use a different Zoom link. Either way, uh, <laughs> today here with, uh, with Dr. Chelsea Corrigan, ND, mm -hmm. uh, and so far, uh, this conversation has had the most questions from you guys. So awesome. Thank you for sharing your questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll do my best to answer. Yeah. And my job is going to be to moderate as much as possible because uh, we want to keep this about an hour, maybe. 
So um, do you, first off, just have any general um, advice? General advice. For people, you know, who are at home right now. Do you mean pertaining to, like, quarantine? Health. Health and wellness. Um, general. I'll go specific question. You can say no. Uh, okay. Give me, give me a more specific question. All right. So I'm going to go with my own personal question first just because <laughs> selfish. Um, so the way that I kind of look at this this time, right, if, uh, if you're watching this outside of April, March, March, April, May, June, hopefully July, hopefully not July uh, 2020, um, we are isolated at home, COVID-19. Um, so my question is, you know, it's, it's unlikely that I'm going to make a ton of health progress right now, health, fitness. My goal is to minimize uh, potentially the, the negative detriments of, of being at home, not getting to the gym, not having the same habits that I normally do. So I am all about the 80-20 principle, the most bang for your buck. I want to be able to do kind of 20%, put in 20% of the effort and get 80% results. Um, what are two or three things that I can do to maintain, try not to fall off too much without putting in too much effort? Um, <clears throat> so a few key things that come to mind are, um, and I guess it all really comes back to just like the foundation of, of health. Um, and what are the most important things? Cause we're going to chat about some things today. Cause I know I saw some of the questions on the members group that, um, are, are specifics, but maybe not necessarily like the foundations of health, but foundations of health are definitely, um, you know, good, healthy diet, sleeping, and then I would say stress reduction. So if I have to name three things, I would say those would be the three things to focus on now is our diet going to be absolutely perfect during this time? Maybe, and maybe for some of us, it'll be better than it was when you were at work and, um, <laughs> and um, you know, you have a candy bar set up, but um, you know, what I would suggest people do is just focus on when you go grocery shopping, make sure you, you know, you stock the fridge with um, lots of fruits and veggies, frozen uh, vegetables. If you're not going to the grocery store that often, which um, is what we've made sure that we we've done. Um, when we do go to the grocery store, we meal prep for multiple kind of weeks at a time so that we know we always have homemade frozen chili or a curry or something like that in the freezer. Um, just so that the majority of the time it's still relatively easy to uh, have healthy food. Um, so prep there in terms of diet is, is key. Um, another tip would just be, um, you know, some of us still have somewhat regular schedules. I'm still working at the current moment. Um, there's a lot of us who are not, or the schedules are different. Um, so a suggestion there would be just try as much as possible to keep a regular routine. Um, you know, set a bedtime, go to bed at that time, get your, you know, minimum seven hours of sleep, ideally a little bit more. Um, that's one way to keep ourselves healthy. Um, and, you mentioned stress reduction. Yeah. And then in terms of stress reduction, cause you know, this is a stressful time for a, a lot of us, even if we're not directly financially affected or from a health perspective, um, affected with COVID, um, it's stressful just to see kind of what's going on in the world around us and all the unknowns. So taking care of yourself and taking breaks for yourself to, um, do things like exercise. Um, you know, I strongly encourage you to join the you know, join the group classes because not only are you exercising, but you get the social kind of 
outing there and that's really it's really nice to feel connected um feeling connected as a community is um is one of the best stress relievers i think that we have get outside go for walks um those would be kind of my my tips there you go so um i think the general takeaway from that was there are three main areas you want to focus on obviously your nutrition your sleep and your stress um and there are uh, multiple different tips in there. What I always suggest is find one that you're actually going to do, right? Don't try to make a, a huge change that's not like you at first, right? Make an easy change that you know you can maintain and then build on those successes. So choose one thing kind of per area um, that you think you can make a change with. Does that make sense? Great. Cool. All right. Um, question number one that I have on here, Be besides eating a healthy balanced diet, um, and obviously there is, uh, there are many different opinions on what exactly a healthy balanced diet is, mm -hmm. uh, but what vitamins, minerals, nutrients should we pay extra attention to? Um, let's just say to, to provide a, a general immune support. Yeah. Um, so I know even though the question said besides a general healthy diet, I definitely feel the need to say a healthy diet is, yeah, is number one. It's, it's most important. Again, sleep, stress reduction, um, those are your absolute foundations of general health and, and immunity. Um, so focus there. But um, given that it's a specific supplement question, there, there absolutely are um, supplements that are beneficial to immune health. Um, we don't know. I, I know that this question specifically and at the time was related to, to COVID-19, um, and we don't know enough. Um, to be able to basically specifically state, um, you know, what supplements could be helpful in preventing treating, if any. Um, so we definitely shouldn't think of it from, from that standpoint. Um, but um, in general, say in, in the, the fall season, um, which would be a time of year where um, we, have, we experience a lot more colds and flus, um, there's definitely certain supplements that, that I take and I recommend um, some of my patients take too, just to generally support immune health. Um, a few of which, um, and I'll focus on mostly the basics today because there's a lot, of, a lot of really good ones out there, but by far um, vitamin C is a, a really important one, which again, you can, you can get from diet, um, but oftentimes taking higher doses than you'd get in... Um, we, it, just from my, my own specific, uh, you know, bang for buck is it, would this be number one like would vitamin c if i were to put them in a hierarchy is vitamin c if i were only to take one supplement to support immune function vitamin i know d. i know that's not as simple as that yeah okay so we'll start with vitamin d start with vitamin, okay. okay so vitamin d would be like the most important if you're going to take one supplement one supplement only um for those who don't know much about vitamin d although i think most of us do <laughs> that was the look at me because should i get into this <laughs> Uh, so vitamin D is basically it's our sunshine vitamin that we we only get if we're we're getting good amounts of sun exposure, which basically means um, you know arms legs exposed, you're not in the shade, and you're um, not wearing you know gallons of, of sunscreen. Um, in North America, none of us get enough basically from like October through to usually May June, depending on the, the year. So hands down, most uh, North Americans we should be taking a supplement. Uh, the general recommended amount of vitamin D that you'll most commonly see is a thousand IUs, which, um, in general for the average person usually isn't quite enough. Um, you will often find online and see online, um, recommendations for immune health pertaining to vitamin D that are these really high doses. Um, you know, I've seen anywhere from 
8,000 to 20,000 IUs recommended per day. Um, one thing that I want to stress with vitamin D is that it's, it's a fat soluble vitamin, which means it's one that builds up in your system. And I do recommend a lot of caution, basically about um, self-prescribing high doses of vitamin D. As much as it's a supplement that I prescribe high doses of all the time, it is monitored uh, via blood work. Um, and that is something that it's not a, a typical test done through our conventional system. Um, but I do uh, highly recommend anybody who comes in and sees me, we usually have a conversation about testing vitamin D. Um, at least get a baseline and then monitor the dosing that you're taking to make sure it's not too much because it does have an upper end of toxicity. Um, but it's extremely helpful, too much talking, extremely helpful for your immune system um, in terms of keeping it balanced. So we'll take a quick pause here. So maybe just to, to go back and, and reiterate a couple things. First is what is vitamin D? Why do we take it? Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure we touched that. Mm -hmm. And two, so obviously if, if, if Chelsea's giving any recommendations for, for taking supplements or for dosage or whatever, obviously the best way to do this would be to have a physical have recommendations that are specific to you but if we don't have the opportunity to come and see you one-on-one -on -one, what is a safe guideline and once again safe is not going to be for everybody it's not going to be perfect likely this will be really on the low end just to make sure that we're not getting those buildups because we don't have time not not excuse me we don't not that we don't have time we don't have access to testing right now mm -hmm. um so what is vitamin d why do we take it and what's a dosage that you know most people are generally going to be okay with uh, so vitamin D is a vitamin, um, and we, we synthesize it from the, the sun. Um, it's beneficial, um, it's beneficial in the body in, to support immune health. So basically if you're too low of vitamin D, some people experience more frequent colds and flus. Um, also you see a more imbalanced immune system. So it's more common that you see things like autoimmune disorders and diseases. Um, vitamin D helps you to absorb calcium for bones um it also has some hormonal implications in the body so there's there's you can almost google any um and look up any condition and there's some type of link to vitamin d so it's it's extremely important for our health um anywhere between one to three thousand i use in the winter months um and the basically the fall and and spring so october through let's say may june um i would consider pretty safe for most people if you're going that number again one thousand to three thousand per day um, if you're, if you're going any higher than that though, I would, um, yeah, I, I, I would not recommend that unless you're testing. Good. And then in point form, in hierarchical order from vitamin D, what other things could people be thinking about to support immune health right now? Um, okay. Let's keep it simple. We'll go, <laughs> we'll go vitamin C would be, uh, would Gen be general dosage range. Next one. Stay there. Yeah. Then. It depends on, again, it depends on the person, but, um, you know, for general immune maintenance, immune health. And by that, I mean, um, again, combating cold and flus, keeping your immune system healthy allergies. And we're coming into an allergy season. It can be helpful between 1000 to 2000 milligrams per day. Um, and again, in a lot of people, I go a lot higher than that in, um, and there's other cases too, where we go, we go higher than that, but 1000 to 2000 is a, is a pretty safe vitamin C dose. Um, again, depending on the, the person, um, next would be, um, so we'll, we'll stick with three things for immune health. Um, probiotics would be a, a big one for, 
um, immune health. We're going to come back to that one since there is a specific question on probiotics. So the third one is probiotics, but we will get back to that. How about okay. that? There was uh, a specific question on vitamin C too. Well, maybe we'll get back to vitamin C again. Then. Um, so the next question, and I may even just uh, hop on this one a little bit. What are some effective ways to improve our breathing capacity if slash when we get a respiratory virus like COVID-19? Uh, steam, cold, eucalypt, eucalyptus, what works? So I think, I think there's an important caveat on this is we don't know enough about COVID really to know if an increased lung capacity or breathing capacity or VO2 max or, or whatever measure you want to use in terms of uh, lung ability is um, prophylactic or beneficial or whatever. So I think first point is, is knowing that. Um, and then if you do want to improve your breathing capacity, I would suggest doing some CrossFit. Um, <laughs> generally, that's going to help making sure that you're you know, strengthening your heart and, and your uh, breathing system. But I think that's probably all we're going to go on. Don't smoke. On that one. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't smoke. Don't compromise your lung capacity intentionally. Yes, definitely. Um, next question. I kind of like this one because I feel like we can all relate, judging by the memes on social media. Um, I've been having a real desire to form a chip and alcohol addiction during isolation. Besides dumping the booze down the drain and pretending the LCBO and grocery store chip aisle don't exist, what do you suggest? Yeah. That's a, it's, it's a good question. Um, and it's a question that even outside of COVID-19 and isolation, um, this is something that the majority of people by far struggle with. Um, and um, so food, certain foods, um, alcohol, well, it's not a food, but alcohol, sugar, um, certain processed foods can be highly addictive. Um, and, you know, some would argue just as addictive as things like alcohol or, or certain drugs um and so in that case you um well first of, the first step is basically checking in with yourself and figuring out uh why why am i craving these things at this time so my suggestion would be um because most of us have a tendency to just go to the go to the cupboard go to the fridge open up the door and we don't even know what we're looking for we don't even realize that we're doing it we're kind of mindlessly just looking for food we mindlessly pick up whether it's a bag of chips and then you don't even realize you're halfway through the bag before you've eaten the whole bag of chips even um, she's done that it's true <laughs> uh, so, um my suggestion would just be to try and be more um more mindful about the process and what i what i mean by that is that um potentially start, if this is something that you've really struggled with um, during COVID-19 or, or otherwise, um, I would suggest start uh, basically like a little food log or a food um, want diary. Um, and by that, what I mean is um, anytime that you get that, that craving or you find yourself opening up the, the cupboard door, or the fridge door, um, take a second and basically check in with yourself and check in with what emotion you're feeling at that time. Because um, there's a variety of different reasons why we grab food mindlessly. Um, boredom is a big one. Uh, anxiety is another big one. Um, just feeling generally stressed. Um, tired and low energy, depression. There's a lot of different reasons why we gravitate to food to give us these certain feelings that we, we feel. Um, so step one is basically you know, deriving that awareness from the situation. Um, so check in with yourself each time and say, okay, what do I, what am I truly feeling right now? Um, and if it's 
If it's actually truly hunger, and that's the reason you're going to the fridge, then that hunger can be satiated by something healthier, right? Grab some like leftovers or grab an apple and almond butter or something along those lines. Um, if you realize that, hey, I'm not actually hungry, but I'm doing this more out of boredom, construct a healthy, like predetermined list in your head of um, activities you can do when you're bored. So, okay, when I find that I'm reaching for food and I'm, I'm bored, instead of just eating out of boredom, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do this project or I'm whatever the, the situation is. Um, same thing if it's anxiety or if you're feeling more stressed, check in with yourself um, and um, instead replace it with a, you know, a healthier behavior. Um, so whether that's going for a walk, doing some deep breathing, um, you know, or even just watching something funny and mindless on YouTube to kind of cheer yourself up because foods themselves, because they are, can be so addictive, um, we can end up in a vicious cycle where, um, let's take sugar, for example, you gravitate towards sugar if you're feeling tired or anxious, let's say. Um, you eat that sugar, sugar actually does cause a little blip up in serotonin in the body, serotonin being the neurotransmitter in our brain that makes us feel happy and relaxed. The body then associates with kind of positive reinforcement that, hey, when I ate that sweet thing, I felt a little bit better. What the body doesn't realize is, you know, very shortly after you consume that sweet thing, your energy crashes, um, you're oftentimes more moody because you go through highs and lows of, of sugar imbalances. Um, but at the same time, the body's just basically trying to make itself in the short term feel better. So um, check in with yourself so you don't end up in that vicious cycle. Because sometimes once you start eating things like chocolate and sugar, your body just habitually craves them. Cool. So main takeaway there, uh, mm -hmm. what I got is check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, for me, um, I think it's also important to, and I'll probably be the like, not devil's advocate, but kind of like the, the less productive, um, side of the conversation. And, and what I would say is just like, you know, try to limit yourself on the, on the, the things that, that, you know, you would consider non-healthy. Um, but I think the the key maybe, especially during this to, to avoid the vicious circle and spiral is that if you do, you know, need to allow yourself to have that thing, don't judge yourself for it, you know, enjoy it, feel good about it. And then say, okay, good. I've, I've taken care of my craving. Now let's do something positive. Cool. Um, I've got a, um, I've got three or f three or four, I guess we're, f this is week five into quarantine, three or four weeks in. And, uh, many I know who have been working from home. So if you're working from home, this may be, uh, applicable, um, are feeling a productivity slump and a scattered brain. Um, and I think this happens during regular, regular work as well. There's a certain point in the day where we kind of just go downhill. Um, do you know why that might be and how we could avoid or reduce it? Basically? Mm. Uh, well, there's, there would be many potential reasons behind it, like stress or lack of sleep or lack of rhythm, but let's, talk to the idea of um what's that mm -hmm. um yeah so let's let's chat to the idea of um basically 
our brain's inability to um, multitask and just distractions, uh, which are which are common. Um, so oftentimes, with it, whether, whether we know it or we don't realize that we're we're doing this, um, we oftentimes have kind of compartmentalized our our life. Um, that certain activities are done within those compartments, if you want to call it that. So if you're somebody who usually works from an office, when you get to your office, you associate work and productivity with your office and your, your cubicle um, or whatever your setup is, um, where you sit down and that's generally not the time, although I'm sure it happens to some degree where you're, you know, you're spending most of your time thinking about what paint color you want to paint the room beside you or um, you know, different things like that. Um, when we're at home, oftentimes home is associated more with either those projects we want to do or relaxation or watching TV or different things along those lines. So part of that transition period, if you're working from home for the first time and you've never worked from home, or if you're somebody who's always worked from home, but you've never had your family home with you at the, the same time, um, I, I think that um, there's there's kind of a transition period there where we have to get used to our new environment and potentially um, try and find a way to compartmentalize that environment. So, you know, take a specific room of your house and make that your office and um, time chunk, basically, that, you know, eight in the morning until... 3 p.m. That's my work hours, and I don't do anything else during that time, so that your mind is, has a less of a tendency to to wander. Um, because if you're working from home, um, it's so easy to look around you and start thinking about all the projects that you want to do at home versus things you should be doing from from work. So, um, yeah, I would basically the takeaway there would be I would suggest basically time uh, time blocking and. Uh, Kind of trying to compartmentalize as much as possible yeah i feel like i'll just be the guy to put in the last word because sometimes uh i don't understand um so i i agree and, and i think you hear this a lot that like set up a space that is solely for that activity um for me i wouldn't do the you know block eight till three and do nothing during that time what i would probably do is be more realistic with myself this is once again the the the, the side that's uh maybe a little more gentle um, you know, and, and set aside, Hey, I'm going to work for an hour and then I'm going to get up and distract myself. And then my focus will be back right. again. So then I'll go back for this hour as opposed to saying, Hey, I'm going to work for these seven hours straight. And realistically for those hours, you're staring at Facebook or, or, or whatever anyway. So, um, I think, and, and just like the food, you know, like don't judge yourself, right? Like be productive, but then, Hey, if you want to go play with your kids, don't give yourself crap for not being uh, as productive during that time. That's about being present on the situation that you're a part of. Be present on what you're doing. You got it. Um, uh, this one, obviously not specific to this situation. I think this is good for uh, just general knowledge. This is something that a lot of people ask about. So what are your thoughts on <clears throat> intermittent fasting? Uh, what are the benefits? Is it worthwhile? Um, especially if it's challenging for some some people, and then pros and cons in relation to performance, and uh, specifically in a lot of your cases, CrossFit. Okay, um, this one I will try and give as much as I can a condensed answer to, because I feel like this could be like a whole. Are you timing me? <laughs> this could this could be a an entire talk in itself. Um, I think the most important thing to to first say when it comes to intermittent fasting, well, um, is 
intermittent fasting in, in general, I'm in, in support of. Um, I think that it can be um, really useful for a variety of different situations, people and, and conditions. Um, there is definitely a caveat to that. There are absolutely some people that I do not recommend um, intermittent fast. Um, and a few of those, um, and this wouldn't be an exhaustive list, but a few would be like if you're actually medicated for diabetes or have diabetes, I would highly suggest do it um, under supervision. Um, if you're taking other medications too, especially ones that can change electrolyte imbalance or cause electrolyte imbalance in the body, like um, say blood pressure medications, um, also same thing, don't recommend it um, unsupervised. Absolutely any history of disordered eating, whether it's binge eating, restrictive eating, or purging um that's usually a situation where i say don't i wouldn't even consider doing intermittent fasting um if you're somebody who tends to have blood sugar imbalances um this isn't necessarily diabetes itself but if you're somebody but what i mean by that is somebody who um if you go a few hours without eating and you start to get headaches, really shaky, um, you feel unwell, feel like you're gonna faint. Um, intermittent fasting is obviously not for you. Um, and then also if you're under a good amount of stress or, and by good amount, I mean bad amount of <laughs> stress. <laughs> if you're under a, yeah, a high amount of uh, chronic stress, you, I do not recommend um, intermittent fasting. So kind of with, <laughs> With all that being, with all that being, if you are not one of those people. Yes, if you're not one of those people, then um, basically the idea with intermittent fasting is um, for those who've never heard the term before, because even though it's fairly popular, there's a lot of people who probably who may be watching this that don't know what that is. Um, basically, fasting being you don't consume any food um, during a fasting time. You could only consume water or say like black coffee or black tea, no milk, no sugar in it. Um, that's called a fast. And basically the idea of intermittent fasting is that you just fast periodically um, versus continuously. Um, and the most typical way to intermittent fast, although there's a variety of different kind of theories out there, the most typical way to intermittent fast is um, like say the classic 16-8 um, ratio. So 16 hours of a 24 hour period, you're going to fast eight hours of a 24 hour period. You're going to consume your, well, I, that's one of the problems, right? So you're ideally not going to binge. You're going to eat healthy food during that, that time. Um, so that's kind of the, the premise of intermittent fasting. Um, it depends on what your goals are in terms of why you want to be considering intermittent fasting in terms of how I would answer this question. But let me answer this question from the, the standpoint of the oh athlete, because I think it's coming from people who generally are pretty healthy. Um, you're an athlete and you're just wondering how is this going to affect my, um, how this can benefit my physical performance. Um, so there definitely are some benefits that can come from this. The idea being that um, a fasted state is actually a, like a quote unquote beneficial stressor on the body. You are actually putting the body in a minor stress state asking it to adapt to uh, running off of different fuel sources, basically. So to, to utilize lower amounts of glycogen and, and that, that you run off of burn more fat than using readily available sugar. Um, so you're basically asking the body to adapt and train under um, 
different um, energy availability parameters, um, which that can be helpful. Um, exercise in itself, you know, what we're doing during exercise in very simple form is basically we, we are stressing the body. You're stressing muscles, you're stressing your um, your lung capacity, your body's ability to carry oxygen. And every day that you do that, your body recovers and adapts to it um, so that the next day and weeks after you're better and better. So the idea with intermittent fasting is that you're, you know, partly training the body to adapt to these different um, energy storage conditions. Um, so that's, that's one um, benefit for, for athletes. Um, and the, I guess the things I would say in terms of if you're, if you're going to do this, if you're an athlete um, and you're looking at to do this to, to better your physical performance, um, one, make sure you don't fall under the list of any of the things that I previously named <laughs> before you do this. Um, make sure you're sleeping adequately too. Um, good amounts of sleep because, again, that's another major stressor. And you do have to be first achieving and eating a healthy, balanced diet, which again, that could be another talk all in and of itself in terms of what is a healthy, balanced diet. But you have to do those things first, because if you're somebody who maybe you have one healthy meal per day, but then your other meals are whether like pizza, milkshake, donuts, that type of thing. Um, intermittent fasting isn't necessarily going to, to help you because during your short window that you're consuming um, nutrients, you need to actually be extra vigilant as an athlete that you're getting in all of the nutrient intake that you would otherwise throughout the whole day um, in that time. And if you're somebody who doesn't focus on nutrient rich foods, um, you're going to end up deficient um, and you won't get the full benefits out of it. So those would be the prerequisites is make sure that you have a really good, healthy, balanced diet before you jump into this. So this is kind of the icing on the cake. Um, it's not your entry level, what should I do if I just start doing CrossFit um, type, type diet parameter. Um, and then so for athletes in particular, um, compared to if you're say doing intermittent fasting just for weight loss and you're, you're not an athlete. So that's not the situation we're talking about right now. We're talking about somebody who's doing this for basically athletic gains and performance. Um, that person, what you need to make sure you do if you, if you intermittent fast um, in order to, because you want to see benefits, right? If you're doing this, you don't want to see uh, any detriment. If you do fast for long, long periods and generally more than 16 hours, um, I would consider long, um, you can start to break down muscle at that point. So generally for athletes, um, I don't um, generally support or encourage long fasts. Um, the idea of doing that 16-8 ratio tends to work really well for athletes um, and you don't see too much or you don't see really any muscle breakdown as far as we can tell based on the limited studies that we, that we do have. Um, so that would be one is don't do, don't do long fasts. Um, rule two would be that during that eight-hour window that you do consume foods, or whatever the window is, maybe it's a 10 hour window for you. It's, you know, there's not a hard and fast way to, to do this. For athletes, um, you truly do need to try and make sure that you're getting enough calories during that time. A lot of athletes um, without intermittent fasting are falling shy on their protein intake, 
you know, not enough good healthy vegetables um, and nutrients coming through and things aren't balanced enough. So it actually is even harder to get your, um, your good nutrient intake in, in an eight hour window. It's very possible. But again, that's why you, you really do need to have a solid diet first before you go into intermittent fasting. Um, because it's, it's very common. One, one of multiple reasons why people often experience weight loss with intermittent fasting is because it inherently can cause caloric restriction. Um, just it's a shorter period. You don't consume as much food during that. So as an athlete, if your goal is to get stronger and fitter, um, then you don't necessarily want a caloric deficit. Um, and you want to make sure that your macronutrient, um, ratios are where they for the most part otherwise would have been um so that's a that's a big one um yeah and then i guess another consideration if you're considering um intermittent fasting just to see how it goes is um is timing and time of day in terms of when you work out during the day um it's harder this is my opinion um I, I, there's less benefit and I don't generally suggest intermittent fasting as much. If you, if you, um, aren't able to consume a meal or foods and nutrients immediately after you, you work out. Um, so, you know, a best case scenario would be, um, I don't know if I want to just describe a day, but basically what you don't want to do is say you're somebody who does a morning class, um, say you do the 6am class, um, but your intermittent fasting window is, um, you finish eating at say seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. Cause you get home from work late. Um, which means that you're not allowed to have your first meal of the day until closer to, you know, 11 or 12, um, that, that next day doing a six o'clock morning class and not having any nutrient intake pre or post class and post the, the stressors of, of class doesn't necessarily set your body up for kind of optimal performance. Um, the time in which you really do want to make sure that you're consuming good amounts of protein, a little bit of carbohydrate to spike insulin is immediately post exercise. So um, that would be another consideration and I'll leave it there. Maybe leave it there. Uh, so the, uh, I was just under 11 minutes by the way. Um, what I get as kind of the dumbed down 80, 20 takeaway is that, um, well, not that I took this away from you, but just in general, that, that nutrition, um, there's no great science on nutrition. So this is all, you know, test what works for you and, and, and mess around with it and, and see what works. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the inter intermittent fasting uh, topic specifically, what I take away from this is this is not your first step right like in terms of health if you've got everything else dialed in and you want to start you know tweaking and, and being very specific sure play around with it um what i know about intermittent intermittent fasting um, and this is on the this comes back to that there's you know not a lot of great science and nutrition is there's so many different ways of doing this you know i've heard of people who eat um what was it like a, a, a lamb or something every two days and that's all they eat and there's nothing else and you know they're the healthiest they've ever been but I mean, it's, everything's going to be different for everybody's background and their nutritional uh, requirements and their digestion and, and everything. Right. So, um, I think, I think maybe the key for all of this stuff that we're going to, you know, always come back to is like consult your, your, your medical professional, 
uh, before you make any major changes. Sure. And what do we got next? Um, yeah, there was a question about supplements again here. Uh, vitamin C, thoughts on ester C vitamin drink, or I guess any of the other uh, vitamin C drink supplements. Um, let's try to be brief since we already touched on vitamin C and all that. Okay. Uh, brief. So just like uh, ester C drink versus taking a, a pill, a capsule. Um, are there certain forms that are better for certain supplements? Maybe sticking with the most important ones in the top of the order. Okay. Um, okay. So ester, ester C specifically. Um, so that's, I'll touch on ester C really briefly. So ester C is made by, by the company Sisu, S-I-S-U. Um, and basically what it is, is it's a buffered vitamin C being that it's buffered with calcium. And so the, are all the other like drinkable vitamin C, do they do that too? No, not this all. Is... Okay. Some do, some do. So basically Ester C, the, the name there, what they've done is they've done a little copyrighted proprietary name um, for their, cause they've marketed it and they've done research on it that um, a buffered vitamin C tends to be a little bit easier to um, absorb and it's easier on your digestive tract. Um, in general, I like buffered vitamin C. So I've got nothing negative to say about them. I definitely, I use them, but it's not the only kind of vitamin C that I, I use in practice um, or personally. Um, and so, yeah, other companies make buffered vitamin Cs too, but extra C is just a common one. Um, the extra C drinks, again, I don't have any issue with um, drinks as long as any drinks or liquids. Um, generally, vitamins that are in powder form that you mix make into a drink or if they're in liquid form generally they're pretty well absorbed um the the biggest pitfall of those types of supplements um and this chewables falls into the same uh the same realm is you just have to read the non-medicinal ingredients that are in it so they you have to make sure they don't have sugar in it they don't have colorings they don't have you know artificial flavorings or anything along uh anything along those uh roots i think the extra c ones are pretty good i didn't actually i haven't read their ingredients but if it's sweetened by stevia or something along those lines um they're fine um yeah other uh forms so yeah liquids and powders are fine um they're good for most things they're they're good um the biggest downfall to powders and, and liquids are just taste um, and whether they've added a whole bunch of things in them that are not healthy to make them taste better and more palatable. Um, what I use the most frequently in my practice for the majority of supplements are just veggie caps um, because veggie caps dissolve really easily in your stomach. So it's kind of like taking a powder, but without, um, um, yeah, without actually having the, the taste of it. Um, tablets. Um, depending again on the manufacturer, a lot of tablets to compress them as tightly as they are. Oftentimes you'll see they have a lot more um, excipients, basically added ingredients in them to, to compact them together. And sometimes depending on the strength of your digestive system, sometimes it's harder for your digestive tract to break apart tablets. Um, <clears throat> but that doesn't necessarily mean that every tablet is, is bad. Um, and then there's, um, well, I don't know. So there's certain vitamins that are better in, like, for example, things that are fat soluble, like vitamin D, for example, my favorite form would definitely be drops. 
Um, but you could also do gel caps too. Um, and as long as you take it with food, cause it's a fat soluble vitamin, you'll absorb it, uh, the best. Um, don't put a fat soluble D drop in liquid in your glass of water, which is what a lot of people I think think that they should do when they buy the D drops. Um, because D is emulsified in fat. It sits in a little fat oil. You put it in your water. It's going to stick to the wall of the glass and likely you're not getting very much D in there whatsoever. Um, so that would be a trick about D. Um, yeah, that's it in a very big nutshell. <laughs> Disorganized nutshell. <laughs> Next. Um, you haven't touched on, or maybe you were touching on probiotics at the end because we oh, talked about yeah. vitamin D, vitamin C. Um, there's a question, what is, what is important or what to look for when selecting the most effective probiotic? Why take probiotic? What a probiotic? Uh, and then, and then what do you look for? Yeah. Okay. Also another very big, um, very big topic. Um, I'm going to go on the assumption that we're, we're talking about probiotics for the person who's generally healthy. Yes. Um, because there, there are specific probiotics, different strains and types that you would take in different disease states or conditions. Um, and different dosing that would be different in those, um, in those conditions. Um, so for the general person that we're talking about for, you know, immune health, some things to look at, um, for a general probiotic, um, well, actually, no, I'll first touch on why take a probiotic. So, uh, probiotics are basically the, they're the good bacteria, the good microflora that's um, in our, our gut. And the majority of it is in our large intestine, not the small intestine. Um, and um, so we know based on research and everything we've learned in the last you know, five to 10 years that um, a huge part of our immune system is actually in the gut. And then the, and the, the gut has a regulating function on the body in terms of lowering inflammation if we have the right microbiome in there balancing our immune system if there's the right mi microbiome in there um and like specific examples of that are you know say reducing atopic rips atop being um allergies eczema um things along those lines um we know that there's benefit to to mood the gut brain connection um absorbing vitamins and minerals um so there's there's a lot of benefit to taking probiotics and the research is only just kind of starting to explode in that field. Um, Did you see what probiotics do? That was it. Well, probiotics basically help to build up. So the, the actual probiotic that you take in that little capsule, um, you know, we used to think that the, that probiotic that's in there, you swallow it and then it lives in your gut for years and years afterwards. More than anything, probiotics actually act as kind of messengers, you can think of them. Um, they don't always take up home in your gut, but they basically send out the appropriate message to basically tell the right bacteria who's allowed to be in there and who's not, if we want to put it into really simple unscientific terms. Um, so they're, they're more of like a, a modulator or a um, kind of like a conductor when it comes to your intestines. Um, and so it, it all comes down to basically intestinal and microbiome health and um, the benefits that that has on your body from lowering inflammation, balancing immune system, good for digestive health and gut health. And um, so there's a lot of benefits there. So should everybody be taking a probiotic? Um, 
a lot of people should be. I don't know that I wouldn't say I would say that everybody in North America should probably be taking vitamin D. Um, I put the majority of people by far on probiotics. So like, if you had to make me say yes or no. Okay, so who shouldn't take probiotics? Is there anybody? Yes, there's certain digestive conditions that shouldn't take probiotics. And um, as ironically as this seems, because you one of the first things you think of if you have IBS is probiotics. Um, there is a big, um, there's a big proportion of people who have IBS that actually have something that's called SIBO, which stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, who, and they actually have an overgrowth of potentially the good bacteria um, in the small intestine. Um, and in some cases, taking certain probiotics can actually make that worse, which is why I say that, you know, if I talk about general tips for picking probiotics, um, there's a lot of kind of conditions that I still wouldn't probably give these probiotics in, but for the general healthy person looking to support immune health and just general function, um, the things you're looking for are one, <laughs> um, try and look for one ideally that's not grown in a medium that um, for a lot of people is irritating. So there's a lot of people who have issues with dairy, gluten, sugar. Um, so just make sure that it's, it's, you know, free up those things. Um, second is um, there's things that are called prebiotics um, that are like FOS or inulin or chicory, which for some people, again, can be really beneficial. They basically help the good bacteria grow more in your gut. It's, kind of the equivalent of having a good fiber in your diet. Um, there are certain conditions against, especially IBS type conditions that actually do a lot worse on those. So in general, I actually mostly stay away from probiotics that have those in them. But again, that depends on the, the person. Um, you're ideally looking for a blend of the lactobacillus species and the bifidobacterium species. Um, you'll see a whole bunch of multiple species listed out on the backs of the, um, the, the ingredient lists. Um, in general, just aim for one that has at least, you know, five to 10 different species in it and that they're made up of both lactobacillus and the bifido uh, groupings. Um, and yeah, probably like out of all those groupings in the species, there's one that's called lactobacillus rhamnosus that, um, has a lot of, whether you remember any of this or not, but there's one that has, um, a decent amount of, uh, you know, studies behind it. And it's really helpful for, um, can, it's been shown to be helpful for atopic type tendency. So eczema, um, allergies, which a lot of people suffer from, um, yeah, it's the one that they've studied in like pregnant moms um, and shown that if you uh, take those, there's a correlation between taking probiotics in pregnancy um, and then the, the babies born tend to have less atopic risk. So being that they have, they're less likely to have eczema and allergies. Although again, there's multiple factors that play into that. So Want me to answer anything else? So, <laughs> the gist on probiotics, um, you're looking for avoiding dairy, ones with dairy and sugar and any inflammatory foods in. Mm -hmm. You're looking for combinations of basilica and hypo, <laughs> whatever she said. Lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. That. Um, 
And then I know that, and I've, cause I've had questions like this, which I don't have the answer to when you go buy a probiotic, it'll <clears> have a, like a number like 20 billion oh, or 10 yeah. million or what, what, how much. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good question. Um, skip that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, general health, um, if we're looking at it, just be kind of that signaling molecule in the gut to, to help balance inflammation. Most of us, as long as we're getting about 10 billion <laughs> CFU, I know it sounds like a lot, but that's all in just one teeny teeny little capsule. Um, 10 billion CFU, um, for the most part is generally okay. Um, there are situations where you would probably want a lot higher dose, um, especially say after antibiotics or um, in certain disease conditions, um, I'll use some really high doses. Um, so that's the- 10 billion. Sure. Yeah. 10 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got one more here, um, maybe for me. Uh, what foods cause gas and <laughs> for, for a friend? Um, and is that a general thing or is that specific to people? It, yeah, that one, that one, again, I'll try and give some generalities, but I would say that's, it is specific to people. Um, and, you know, question one first is if, so if you're somebody who experiences a lot of digestive gas bloating or IBS type symptoms, so, um, I don't know, everyone always makes fun of me because I talk about poop a lot, but um, it's uh, basically, yeah, if you, if you have anything other than like a perfect, nice log-like bowel movement <laughs> one to three times per day, if you have any more or less than, than that, if they're really loose, if they're tiny little pellets, um, there's probably something going on that should be, should be rectified. Um, so the question is just what's causing that. Um, in some cases, it's as simple as, a food, one or two foods. Um, and then in other cases, it comes back to the microbiome. So the good good and or hopefully not bad, but often bad bacteria that tend to overgrow in the intestines. It could be the, the right bug, but in the wrong spot, which is what's called SIBO that I mentioned before. Um, and we actually do at our clinic, we do a ton of work with um, IBS and, and SIBO. Um, it's extremely common. Um, and, um, so yeah, it can be to do with the microbiome. It could be to do with food intolerances. Um, it can have, it could be related to, um, how well are you actually breaking down and digesting the foods? Um, maybe you're not producing enough enzymes. Maybe you're not producing enough stomach acid. Um, there's a variety of different things that can cause gas and bloating and maldigestion. But, um, if we're specifically talking about food, so, you know, if you're somebody who said, you know, I don't want to do the, the looking, just tell me one thing to try cutting out for one or two weeks to see if I feel better. The classic foods that tend to cause the most digestive upset um, would be your like dairy products. Um, definitely like cheeses, milks, um, yogurts though as, as well, although they're slightly less irritating than, than others, although some people have to avoid all of them. Um, the gluten-containing products, so uh, wheats, rye, um, barley, can be irritating for some. Uh, there's certain fruits and vegetables um, that can be quite irritating. Um, so like skins of apples, for example, can be irritating for some people. Um, the cruciferous family, like your broccoli, kale, cauliflower, um, can be irritating. 
Legumes can be irritating too. That's more just the, the types of fibers that are in them, again, that are hard to break down, um, just like in the, the cruciferous family. Um, yeah, so foods themselves, there's a lot of different foods that could cause irritation to your gut for a whole bunch of different reasons too. It could just be an intolerance, being that your immune system is reacting to it, not in terms of an allergy, but an in, in intolerance. They're very different things. Um, one is just that it could contain more, um, if you've ever heard of a fat, low FODMAPs diet, um, basically there's certain fibers and carbohydrate chains that are really irritating to certain people that we can't break them down and then our gut bugs kind of hyper ferment them. Um, so that was, yeah. A big long-winded answer that may not be super specific or helpful but there's there's a lot that we can do digestively to, to help people um but it does usually what i usually suggest is um we just need to ask a lot more questions figure out what you're eating um what did your past medical history look like have you been exposed to antibiotics you know do you have some of the risk factors for SIBO or bacterial imbalances in the in the stomach um and from there it's easier to give more um specific recommendations but um yeah to start some of the those are some of the foods yeah awesome uh so a couple things i think first um what's it's important to to say obviously none of this is uh you know uh medical advice, uh, advice for you um just in general stuff and obviously if you want to make changes to what you're doing um the, the most beneficial, the most effective way to do that will be to see um, your healthcare provider, do a physical exam, and then work from there. Um, obviously, I would suggest see a naturopathic medical provider because they're going to do the right type of testing and, and whatnot, but that's my own personal opinion. Um, and then I think there are some questions here, and if you have other questions, make sure that uh, you pop them in here. But I have one, I think this is regarding intermittent fasting. Uh, does it hinder performance recovery? Not interesting anything not shortly. Ingesting. Ah, not ingesting anything <laughs> shortly after a long gym session during that fast. Working <clears throat> in the morning, for example, not eating. So I think you may have already touched on that, but we can get back to it. If you do the 16-8, how long would you recommend doing this for? Is there a benefit uh, from doing this for a week on, week off? So I think, I think it's, it's important that like, this isn't really your main thing, right? Like you don't do a lot of intermittent fasting. There's a ton of research out there about this, um, on different ways to do it for specific people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would, it would definitely be individualized, but I would say, um, again, my personal opinion, and there's a lot of different people who do it different ways. Um, my personal opinion, what I've seen. And so therefore what I would probably recommend trying first in terms of, um, yeah. fasting is arranging your schedule if you can as such to consume some type of food or at least be at the minimum coming off your fast um, post-exercise um, or to be exercising in the middle of your eating window versus um, you know exercising during a fast um, that just aids muscle recovery so at least in in my opinion so that would be kind of the answer there. The other question was the 16-8 week on, week off, consistently, how long? Yeah, that's, yeah, so that's a really good question, and I think that they're, just like Adam said, there's probably a bunch more research out there that I potentially haven't even read, um, and again, it comes back to 
new when it comes to nutrition i wish that we had like bang on papers um that tell us definitively for one person or another what type of diet and what rules and guidelines should we all follow but um research when it comes to nutrition is kind of inherently flawed um and it's difficult to know for certain um you know what the absolute best thing is for um for everyone and therefore there's always a little bit of start here and then figure out um, what works for you and what you feel best doing <clears throat> um, you could do a week on week off um, like for most people like I usually at least when you're starting intermittent fasting I would suggest you know most people I say try it Monday to Friday um, to, to start see how you feel because your days are organized that way too um, and if you if you do find when you're intermittent fasting if you're as an athlete um that you don't feel as strong you're tired um anything along those lines then something isn't right for you um if you don't feel at least better than you felt before doing that's after a certain period of adaptation right? yes yeah after a certain period of adaptation so i would i would say at least you know two or three weeks um if you don't feel better after that period then you're probably doing something wrong. And the very first thing I would look to is, are you consuming enough of the macronutrients that you need in your off period um, to basically refuel? Um, that would be number one thing that I would at least look at. Cool. So hopefully that, uh, I don't know if there are any other questions there. Hopefully that answers questions. Um, we are, well, Chelsea is very happy to do another one of these if necessary. Um, obviously if, if you really want to delve into this personally and get results that are optimized for you, um, how would they go about booking with you if they're interested in that? Mm -hmm. So if we weren't all in quarantine, um, all right, our let's talk about right now. No, I know, but I was going to tell them where our office was. I'm going to do me. Um, <laughs> our, uh, our clinic, it's called Whole Medicine, and it is on March Whole Medicine. Uh, no, it's yeah, wholemedicine.ca is our is our website. And we're located on March Road, but we're closed at the current moment. But all of our NDs, so we have three NDs at our clinic, myself, um, Keely Mann, and we have uh, Yola Sikorsky. Uh, we are all doing virtual appointments at this time. And it's actually a little bit easier to get in to see us because... Um, Not get in to see you, but just... Yeah, to get in on our schedule. To virtually get in on our schedule. So, yeah. I encourage you to book in with any of us if you'd like to. And most people with comprehensive... Uh, insurance or coverage will have benefits for MD services. Yeah. And uh, just like talking with Nicole, um, just because you can't be physically there, uh, there's a, still a whole lot that, uh, that can be dug into. Yeah. The majority of what we do is talking anyways. Yeah. The majority of what we do. And uh, it's the majority of what we do. The majority is talking. It. And uh, what I generally, if I'm talking to anyone in person and they ask me about coming to see me, what I often recommend is if you know you have insurance to um, coverage, uh, benefit coverage for naturopathic medicine, Call your insurance provider ahead of time too. See if you get insurance provided, or inc I can't even speak, coverage for not only the visits with me, but potentially for, for lab work too. <clears throat> lab work isn't mandatory or necessary. It's always optional, um, but it can just be so 
helpful in terms of getting a, a baseline. Make sure you're not um, deficient in certain nutrients. Check in on your insulin levels and hormone levels. Um, so get kind of some some baselines um, and or just correct some fairly simple things. Um, that's stuff that I absolutely love doing, and I know that um, all my patients get a lot of value out of that. So um, not mandatory, but something I would recommend if you're interested. Just check benefits for that. Cool, you won't be able to do that right now because all the labs are closed, but. True. Um, no, they're not closed. They're open. But we're discouraging people from going for lab work until this is gotcha. passed. Cool, so um, thanks for watching. If you did, uh, make sure that if you have any other questions for Chelsea, post them um, below um, or just send a message to me and uh, we'll do a round two. Today is Monday. I'm going to see if I can get uh, another guest lined up for Thursday or Friday, and we'll see you then. Take care, guys.